You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Good afternoon. Let me just... Uh... Okay. So... As we continue, we had a little bit of a break from the classes because of Pesach. Not only was it a break in the classes, but it was also in the Torah readings. We just started back to the routine of the Torah readings until now. During Pesach festival, we were reading about Pesach. And only now are we back to the uh, actual Torah readings. Last week was Shemini. And this week we have a double Torah reading, which is Tazria and Mitzorah, which talk about the ideas of leprosy. Not always do we find that the double Torah readings are necessarily discussing the same issue, but in fact, this week they are, as we'll talk about today in a few moments. Unfortunately, in the past few weeks, especially in the land of Israel, we've seen a very tragic chain of events where siblings or couples, mainly siblings, have been killed in different uh, episodes. It was two siblings brothers that were killed in a terror attack, then there were two sisters that were killed in a terror attack, a brother and sister that were killed in a flood last week. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's sad enough that one person dies, but imagine two siblings of one family and then following there were two brothers that were killed in a, a car ramming terrorist that was in Jerusalem. And it was an unfortunate event. And one of the unique things about uh, these episodes, if you just look at it a little closely, is that you notice that every sector of the Israeli demographic was, so to speak, hit by it. One of them were Haredi, what they call, you know, in Israel, everybody wants to give themselves a different type of name, but one is the Haredi sector, very ultra-religious, then there were people who were Datilumi, the Zionist sector also was hit by it, and then there were secular, the traditional, every sector of Israeli um, demographic, unfortunately, had the same uh, attack, or so to speak, there was somebody from that demographic that was also killed. And especially that we're now in the days of between the counting of the Omer, between Pesach and Shavuos, which is time for introspection of how we have to add in how love for one another. But even more so, it gives us a stark reminder of how we're all all part of the same family. And it doesn't make a difference of what demographic we are part of, how religious or secular we may be. We still have to and uh, remember that we're all part of the same family and therefore we always have that uh, responsibility to one another. And when we think about it, what is the best way for us to continue to be brothers and sisters once again and to recognize that we are part of that family is by... Now, step number one is the way we talk about one another. The way we think about another, you know, you think about it as in your mind. But what's the most harmful thing that can happen is the way we talk to one another is the one that we have to work on the most. And to talk good and to speak nicely about another person and to see the good in every person, that helps us understand and appreciate and, of course, makes us, helps us get along. And it's many times in life, we don't always choose what we hear and what we see. 
things come in front of you. You're driving down the highway, you see a billboard, or you hear something on the radio, you guess you can turn it off. But until you turn it off, you actually hear it. There's one thing we have a choice, and those are the words that come out of our mouth. We have a choice to say what they are. And the words that we say are so important and are so vital because the words that we say, in fact, words have the most powerful impact that they can transform anything. They can transform a person who's sad to being happy, a person who's happy to being sad, a person who's... They, I, words make a difference and make an impact. And if we think about the words, when people were just told a few words and how that changed their life, it reminds me of a story. There's a rabbi, his name is Rabbi Dickstein. He visits the uh, prisons in Israel. And once he walks into one of the prisons, and you know, he used to go there every single week and have classes. And there was this one guy that was in solitary confinement, which most of the prisoners said, you stay away from that guy. He was like the bovan of the prison. He was somebody that we don't even know what kind of crimes he's in for type of guy. And, but in Israel, everybody in prison is Jewish, mostly, at least in that one. You know, there's some other places where the Arabs are, but whatever. But there's a lot of them that are Jewish fellows. So he went into the prison for the solitary confinement and walks over to the fellow and he starts talking to him and having a chat. And then he says, would you like to put on tefillin? So the guy says, okay, you know, what else is he going to do in solitary confinement? He rolls up a sleeve. And on his sleeve, there's tattooed a very unpleasant or immoral image on his arm. And this rabbi is thinking to himself, do I put on tefillin with this or not? You know, they got to put the tefillin on. But then he said, you know what? Let me put it on. I'll ignore it, so to speak. I will look at it and whatever, maybe. He puts on tefillin with the guy. The guy starts crying while he's putting on the tefillin the first time in his life. Somebody even gave him recognition. He comes back the following week, and he, this fellow asks, can we put on tefillin again? And this time he rolls up his sleeves, and he sees it's all like blotched and all like ruined his skin. So he says, what's going on? So he said, you were the first person that gave me attention, that spoke to me, that gave me a good word. And then I realized what was on my arm. I realized this is something which I don't even know how I got myself to even tattoo it. I looked to be able to get rid of it. And in prison, the only thing I had was salt. And he let his arm soak in salt and pain just to be able to regret what he's done. But what changed this person around? What got him to recognize that he did something? was not that anybody reprimanded him, but as he was spoken to. The words, the soft words, made the most impression on this individual. We know the words that make an impact on individuals. So therefore, we'll start with a quote from the Zohar on this week's Torah reading, which this week's Torah reading and both Torah readings talk about the concept of the words that we choose. And the Zohar says as follows. The Zohar says that why was a person, more than a person that was punished with the plague of leprosy, we call it leprosy, but it's really saras. There's no real translation, as we'll get to it in a moment. It was not necessarily because of the bad words that the person said, but it's more because he had a chance to say something good, and he didn't. Because he exploited the opportunity where God gave him a chance to say something nice and good about an individual, and he did not utilize that opportunity, he gets this plague of saras. Look at these words of the Zohar. Amazing. That worse than saying something bad is not utilizing the opportunity to say something good. That you have a chance to compliment, to say something good to a person, 
and you don't see it, that's a sin. That's why if you look at the words, at the atonement that is given for the sin, when a person is a mature, after the person goes through his seven days of quarantine, and he has to be secluded from the community because he is impure, he has to bring two birds to the holy temple as a sacrifice. Not two doves, but two birds. Why two birds? And the, com the commentaries explain that the birds are symbolic of the words that he said, the same way a bird chirps. But there's two birds. One bird because he spoke bad, and one bird because he didn't have the opportunity, because he didn't use the opportunity to say good. That's why one bird is brought as a sacrifice on the altar, while the other bird is let free. It's brought together, but one's brought as a sacrifice and the other is let free. So you see again, huh? One, two birds, it doesn't make a difference. One goes on either, but so the one that you're bringing on the altar is because he said something bad, and the one that you let free is because you had an opportunity to say something good, and you allowed it to go. Another thing we find concerning about uh, saying something good, the Medrash tells us, another important lesson what we see from this, the concept of how a person has to be careful to utilize to say something good. The Medrash tells us about a story of Rabbi Shimon, who was a great sage in the Talmud, who told his servant, Tavi, who was a well-known character in the Talmud, and he told his servant, Tavi, go to the market and bring me the best food you can bring from the market. And he brings him back tongue. Then he tells him, Tavi, go and bring me the worst food you can bring from the market. And he brings him back a tongue. He says, this tongue, you see, it can be the best thing. You can say the nicest thing to somebody, or it can also destroy somebody. And especially when we just we mentioned before, when the time of the counting of the Omer, looking back at the students of Rabbi Akiva, that 24,000 students died uh, during this period. And the very fact that they died during this period, my, the Talmud explains that, and the commentaries on the Talmud explain that this was specific during this time, because usually during the summer and spring months, people go outside, they become more healthy, they're not necessarily confined, so the germs don't affect them as much. And over here you see 24,000 died, and they died from a sickness called Ascara, where basically they choked, they, they lost of oxygen. And what is that? The Talmud explains, because since they couldn't say something nice about their friend, they didn't see the greatness of their friend, they weren't able to appreciate the greatness of somebody else. They were so... They were, they were not able to respect one another, meaning that they spoke, uh, they spoke ill of one another. And that was the sin that caused them to die in such a long period of time. So we see over here something unique about the words, the power of speech that we have. But what is it so great about the power of speech that it automatically transforms worlds, makes a world of a difference, if you want to call it? To the extent that we look at this power of speech that is described in this week's Torah reading as almost a windfall of profits if a person gets it and utilizes it in the right way. That means it's probably the greatest reward if you use it the right way, and if not, it can be used destructively. And over here, the Talmud begins, I'm sorry, the Parsha this week discusses to tell us about the different types of saras. And we're going to use the terminology tzaras because even though the translation is leprosy, but as we'll soon see, Maimonides explains that this is not type of regular illness. The Torah reading in this week's Torah reading, there are three types of tzaras that it talks about. There's a tzaras that affects the human, there's a tzaras that affects the clothing, and there's a tzaras that affects the actual home. And each one of them is in stages. The first Torah 
Tefillin talks about the Taras that affects the human. What kind of Taras would make a person? Like if you see a certain boldness, you see a certain pigmentation, and the Kohen would then determine if it's considered Taras, and then he has to go for seven days in quarantine. He's checked again to see if it stays, or if it spread, if it didn't spread. And then he is able to come out of quarantine, or he has to stay and become impure, and afterwards become the sacrifices. Then there's a tzaras that affects the clothing. You see a pigmentation on the clothing, then you have to see if it spreads or if it doesn't spread, then you have to get rid of the clothing, cut out the clothing, or destroy it completely. The final tzaras is if it's on the house, the, the Kohen comes and sees a pigmentation on the wall, does it spread or if it doesn't spread, first they take out the actual brick. If it did spread, if it continues to spread, they sometimes have to destroy the completely the entire house. The Talmud explains that in fact, the worst Saras is when it affects the human being. The second stage, that means least, is the garment. And the least is the house. That means the Torah talks about an order. And if you look when the God warned, for example, when God warned Pharaoh about the destruction of Egypt, what was the first thing he said? I'm going to kill your firstborn. But afterwards he started first with blood, frogs, but he warned them about the firstborn already in the beginning. Because God warns us about the worst, but he only punishes with the least first. So he goes, as they say in Hebrew, min from lenient to more strict. So that even though the Torah talks about the uh, tzaras of the home, of the human, then the garment, then the home, but the most lenient case would be the home, then the garment, then the human being. That's practically speaking, because the home is the most furthest away from the person, the garment is closer to you, and then the human being himself gets affected by it, and that's the worst level of tzaras a person can get. When God puts it on this way, if you look at the word that the Torah uses, the terminology, why would a person get this taras? So if you look at the word in Hebrew for taras is mitzorah. The word mitzorah can be broken into three words. Motzi shem ra, a one who gossips, one who says bad ill about another. Even more so, the Torah tells us very clearly in many different cases where we see episodes of individuals who've spoken ill about others, and because of that, they got tzaras. For example, the first primary uh, subject of it was Moses himself. Moses spoke about the Jewish people when God told him to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. He said, they're not going to believe me. And God told him, put your hand in your bosom. He puts his hand out, and he sees it's completely white, and it becomes white like a leopard. And God tells him to put it back in again, and it becomes healed showing him that because he spoke ill about the Jewish people, that they would not believe that he became a person struck with, uh, with Saraz. Another time later on, a few years later, when the Jewish people are traveling in the desert after the giving of the Torah, Moses separated from his wife, Miriam and Aaron, Miriam went to talk to Aaron about the relationship that Moses had with his wife. And because of that, Moses was, uh, Miriam was struck with leprosy for seven days that the entire Jewish people waited for until she was healed and then she would come back. So we see over here clearly that as we see the, um, the punishment of Saras is given to a person who speaks gossip, speaks ill of another person. And as we see, it starts first with the, gar with the home, then with the garment, then with the human being. When we talk about it going to the human being is because the human being, because he went so far to talk, ill about another person and spoke Lashon Hara and gossiped about another individual. Therefore, he is punished with such a severe sin. Maimonides makes it clear and says that you should know that this concept of saras is not an illness. It's not a pigmentation. It's not a dermatological disease. When you go to a dermatologist, he'll give you a few creams, he'll scratch it off and say it's all right. 
This is a disease which is given by God. It's a miraculous disease. He says the proof in the pudding is, you can see that first it goes on the home, then it'll come to the garment, then it'll come to the human being. You can have that it does spread, it doesn't spread, and all the different things. It's not only a pigmentation. There's different kinds of terrace that can come to a person. It's here falling out on one side. It's here falling out on another side. The hair changes colors. And all the different details that the Torah describes are only certain ways of how it can happen. And the only one that who is the doctor, so to speak, to be able to determine it is the Kohen. And the only, one a person, the only way a person can get rid of it is if by doing and following the code that the Torah tells us, prescribes for us to do to be able to get rid of it. And over here the question is, why is it that first of all that the Torah takes a certain item when we talk about the plagues or the, the, the tzaras which is going to come to a person's home and the Torah puts it in the middle of the Torah reading of Mitzorah, the second Torah reading that we're going to read and seemingly the Torah puts it in a very festive, if you want to call it in a happy mode, that when a person is going to have it. In the terminology of this week's Torah reading, to give you an example of what I mean by that, that the Torah says, when you will come into the land of Israel, and God will give you the land as an inheritance, I'm going to place the plague of Tsaras in your home. Now, whenever a person says, I'm going to give you something, they don't usually say, I'm going to give you a punishment. I want to give you a prize. I want to give you a sweet. I want to give you something that because you deserve it. Over here, it sounds like God says, oh, you want to hear the reward that you're going to get when you go into the land of Israel? You're going to get Saras in your hand. How does that make sense? Why is God using a terminology of giving to something which is something seemingly a punishment? Usually the terminology of no ten, I'm giving you something, is usually done for something positive. Even, for example, in the plagues where God says and God gave thunder and lightning to the Egyptians, that was because he was actually helping the Jewish people. So Rashi tells us over here something very interesting. What's God giving us? God is giving us a very special idea. God is giving us that when the Jewish people come to the land of Israel, the Emirates who were living prior in the land of Israel, they knew that the Jewish people are coming. And they now are going to be placing all their wealth and all their treasures in the ground. What does God do? He gives you tzaras. Therefore, you got to bash down your house. And what happens when you bash down your house? You find the treasure. That means what happened was that ever since the Jewish people left Egypt, the nations of the world especially, the seven nations living in the land of Israel, were found closely monitoring the situation where the Jewish people were. They wanted to know every single place where the Jewish people were. And therefore, when they followed, they knew that the Jewish people are coming closer to the land of Israel. Right away, they realized, look, if God got rid of the Egyptians, he's going to get rid of us too. But who says they're going to be here for too long? Let's hide our treasures. Eventually, we'll overcome them, and we'll be able to get back our stuff. What does God do? He makes the Tzaras. The Tzaras comes along, so therefore, they're able to knock down the homes, and they get to find the treasures. So the question over here is, what are we talking about over here? What kind of person? Is the person that gets harassed a bad guy or a good guy? Are we rewarding people for speaking ill that they're going to find treasures? And meanwhile, the people that don't say anything are not going to find treasures? What's happening over here? Not only that, the interesting thing is that the human terminology is that you will come to the land of Canaan. That means who's there? The Canaanites. 
But then who's the one that's hiding the treasures? The Emirates. So is it the Canaanites or the Emirates? What's happening here? And therefore, we have, the Rebbe gives us an unbelievable explanation of what's going on here. Now, when we talk about the Emirates, the Emirates, they were following the Jewish people all the way back from Abraham. And they knew that they were going to be punished for four generations. That in four generations, they're going to get the punishment that they started a long time ago. So they're counting. Where are we up to? When are the Jewish people going to come to us? They knew that if the Jewish people leave Egypt, they knew exactly, okay, we're going to get what's coming to us. But they also, because they were following, so therefore they had advance warning. The Canaanites that came into the land of Israel, yes, they may have been following the Jewish people where they're going, but they didn't think anything was going to happen to them. The Amorites who already got a warning by the time of Abraham, as it says in the verse, because God says it's going to take four generations until I pay back those Amorites. So they know that what's coming to them is going to happen. They're the ones that bury their stuff in the ground, and they're the ones that their homes are going to be demolished. But the question is, how is it possible that a Mitzorah, who seemingly spoke ill, is the one to be rewarded, to be able to get that reward? And over here we see it in the word Amorites. What does the word Amor mean in Hebrew? means to speak, to say. And over here, there's something deeper that God is telling us within the story of the Mitzorah. That over here, God is telling us something deeper when it comes to Tzaras. This individual, who God says, we need to destroy your home. He's telling him, listen here, you have an opportunity. After your home was destroyed, you are now about to get the greatest reward. What is God telling every single one of us? You look at around and you say, Oive, my home is destroyed. What am I going to do? But what's underneath your home? The greatest treasure. Sometimes when you come to the greatest low and everything is knocked down, that's your opportunity to start from scratch and rebuild. And over here, the Torah is telling us very something very interesting. That when you recognize and realize the importance of the words that you say, within the words that you say are the hidden treasure. That means the words you say can actually affect and change and transform. That is the greatest treasure that you have. What God is telling the Jewish people when it comes to the Mitzvah, that the power of speech is not meant to destroy homes. It's meant to find the treasure that's beneath the home. The power of speech is there to be able to see the good, to reveal the good within every person, not to destroy the person. Emorite, emori. The word Amori brings, that means they're hitting the treasure. You can find the hidden treasure by saying something to somebody. You can reveal that hidden treasure within them. Yad Vashem says on there, it talks about the, how during the Holocaust, there was uh, the country of Albania saved many Jews. And what was one of the only European countries that allowed Jews to come in. And even after they allowed some Jews, they did not cooperate and collaborate with the Nazis. And they even let more and more Jews in, and they saved first hundreds and then even thousands of Jews in Albania. And said, what was it that the Albanians had that they saved the Jews? And in Albanian, there's a word, it's called besa. Besa means to be a mensch, as they say in Yiddish. To be a hold by your word. And for them, to save the Jews meant that they keep to their word. 
It was considered, I don't go back on my word. I say something, I'm going to keep it. And because of that, they saved so many Jews. Something that we say, the quality, you see, just because they kept to their word, it saved many people because their word was valued. The words that we say may go into the atmosphere, but at the end of the day, the words we say are an expression of our soul. What we think, we articulate. What we feel, we articulate. When we want to be able to say something or express ourselves or how we feel, it's going to be with words. While there's many other garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action, but the difference between thought and action versus speech, thought is innate, is within the individual. It doesn't change the person. Nobody knows about it, even though it's in a garment to express your soul. Action is very separate from you. You do something, it can go someplace else, while speech is close to you, but at the same time also has an effect on somebody else. If you look at the difference between the human being compared to any other creation that God made, what is the advantage of the human being is that they're called a medaber, a, human be- a, sp- a speaking person. You have the lowest level is a domain, inanimate object. You have tzomeach, which is vegetation, high in animal. What's the character difference between that God calls between the human being and the uh, animal? Is because I gave them the possibility that they can speak. We are called medabers. We have the ability to articulate. As we find in Shir Hashirim, in Songs of Songs, King Solomon talks about the beloved expressing the love for one another, but uses words to express love to one another. And this is when we talk about that words, it's not just exhaustion, it's not just saying things, it's not just breathing, but it's actually expressing and making a difference to the words we say and the impact on the people that we say it to. It's for that reason, when a person gets angry, what's the best thing for a person that's angry? Don't say anything. Why? Because you're going to say things when you're angry that will have an impact. And you're never going to be able to take those words back. And because of that, when a person says, you're angry, what's the first thing? Keep quiet. Step number one, you're upset, don't say anything. Because the things you say express exactly what you're feeling and you're going to calm down soon and you're going to regret what you're feeling or not necessarily did you want to expose those feelings that you said. Even more so, we know that the word teva, which means in Hebrew words, has multiple interpretations. The word teva can also mean the words of davening, the words of, da- of learning, and that they also create our life, whatever they may be. And many times we are people that we say, you know, the, in the Haggadah we say, Chacham, Mahu Omer, a wise man, what he's, you want to know if he's wise, look at the words that he says. We can see what a person is by the ways that, by the things that they say, by the words they use. Which we see the very fact that when a person speaks, a person who speaks willingly, lovingly, and appeasingly to somebody else can create and generate a certain love and passion for the person that they're talking to. A person, as it's a toy we speak about in the Hasidic text, it tells us about the power of speech. While when a person is angry or disciplined, using the words, and therefore when a person has the ability to calm down his anger or his upsetness is by not speaking. Because through speaking, not only does he not help calm his anger, but it actually gets more angst and more anxious because it stimulates speech, stimulates, can stimulate love, passion, and can stimulate the opposite as well.
We find this as well in Jewish law. In Jewish law, we know that if a person wants to uh, regret or apologize for doing something wrong, in Jewish law, we know, we say it in every single day in our davening, we find it in the prayers on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where we have the confession. What's the purpose of the confession? So a person should articulate what they did wrong and thereby regret what they did. Because when I verbalize it, I mean it, I understand it, and it's not just something passive. I recognize, I understand it. I recognize what I did, and therefore I'll make sure it doesn't happen again. And that's why in Jewish law, part of the steps of repentance is to verbalize what you did wrong. Get a confession. You say, for the sin that I've confessed, for the sin that I've done wrong, for this. Why am I saying it? Just think about it. Because when I verbalize it, automatically it takes a bigger effect on me. So when we get back to the story of the Amorites, so we see again that this um, punishment, if this is the way it is, I mean, it's a punishment, how much more so? If this is that means, if you take what words can destroy, how much more we can see what words, the good that words can do. And the gold, as we mentioned, the Emirates revealing that hidden gold that exists and how much more can be done. Rashi explains where he talks about the Emirates. And this was the Emirates teaching us that the Emirates were the ones that hid it because teaching us again that lesson that the words that we say and more reveal the hidden secrets that are there. Another thing you also look at the words, just an interesting thing. You know, sometimes people want to hear a good piece of gossip. You look at the newspapers, if there wouldn't be gossip, there wouldn't be soul. Why do people enjoy gossip so much? So if you take the words in Hebrew for leprosy, for tsaras, is nega, like a plague. Take the word nega and switch it around. It's made up of three letters. It also comes from the word oneg, pleasure. That means everything, the way it's as powerful as it is in evil, as powerful as it is as well in spiritual, meaning the good that you can do and the bad that can be brought out from something. This thing, which is a plague, can also be oneg. That means people enjoy it, they are gossip, but you can make a person so much happier, bring him so much pleasure by telling him something good. You can take a plague, you can make something miserable to a person, and that exact same miserable feeling of the plague, you can also make them feel good about it. It's all about how you choose your words and what you say. And this, this is why, and when we talk about the power of speech, it's something that we were discussing, the communication, the power of articulation, of how to be able to speak positive about a person. And the question then is, and this is a very famous question that people always ask, is if tsaras was something to be able to prevent people from talking bad, why don't we have it today? What happened? How come today we don't see that when a person's gossips, all of a sudden there should be spots showing up on their home, on their garments, or on their clothing. Maybe there will be less people speaking gossip. Number two, why does the Torah, when the Torah refers to it in this week's Torah reading, when the Torah refers to a person who has saras, the Torah begins by saying, Adam ki In Judaism in general, and the Torah especially in Hebrew, there are different terminologies how you can call a person. Ish, Enosh, Gever, Adam. That means Adam is the highest level because Adam, Adam, the first man, comes from the word Adam, the aliens, compared to God. Then comes Ish, which is a man, like Moshe was called Ish Elohim, Yecheska was called Ish Elohim, a man of God. 
Then comes Gever, he's a gentleman, and the lowest level is Enosh, the very fact they're a human being. When the Torah describes a person who gossips, what does the Torah use? Adam, the highest level. Maybe it should use the lowest common denominator. Now, why the highest? Why does he use Adam? Another question that we can ask is why the Torah tells us, why is the punishments, why does it work? The first the home, then the garment, and then the human being. And even... And finally, our last question, going back to the story of Miriam, what did Miriam do so wrong? What did she say? She was only looking out for the benefit of her brother. She cared for her brother. She was the one that watched him when he was a baby in the bassinet, watched him while he was still floating down this Red Sea. She was only concerned about his relationship. She didn't want to gossip about him, but still and all, she was struck with leprosy. Why so strict? What did we do wrong to her? And it's to the extent that we still say, remember what happened to Miriam, one of the six remembrances. And the answer is that all of this saras is not necessarily a punishment for you speaking bad or being gossip about others. But it's actually, it is there for the damage that the person has caused to themselves. More damage that they cause to themselves than they caused another person by speaking about them. And over here, the saras is like the red alert telling you, Careful where you're stepping. Watch the territory you're going on. Who is a person that we are worried about them stooping down to low levels? There's only a person who's on the high level of Adam. Only a person who's on the high level like that. Do we need to say, give him a red alert and say, one second, we watch where you're going. And therefore, what we're going to do first is we're going to first plague his home. So he recognizes you got to shape up or else what's coming next? Your garment. What's coming next is you, the person. And therefore it was to Miriam because Miriam was such a great level that even though she didn't say anything bad technically about, about Moses, but the very fact that she was stooping to the level to discuss and talk about other people, that was already veering off the right track. And because of that, the Torah says, don't go against yourself. You have an opportunity to talk, use it to say nice things. Don't even use it to say common things. Whatever you say should be saying nice things about people. Because when a person speaks, they should be able to utilize their speech to be able to show the best in somebody else. This is what the Torah is telling us. You, Adam, you are in a high level. You are in a position that you have to come, that from you should only come nice things. We're talking about a person who's a great level, and now, therefore today, we don't see the plague of Tsaras anymore because we're all on such a low level that we don't even have the ability to appreciate, to refine ourselves, to be able to make it to that level. But at the same time, we have to remember that more than not only is the value of speaking nicely about others, help us that we should speak nicely, that we become better people when we speak nicely about others. But when we speak nicely of others, we also help them become better people. What do I mean by that? It says in the Mishnah, judge every person favorably. We learned it last week in Ethics of Our Fathers. Judge every person favorably. And people ask the Question, what do you mean judge every person favorably? This guy's a thief, a lowlife, and every other name that you can imagine. And you want me to judge him favorably? How am I supposed to do that? What am I supposed to say? I'm calling it, I'm calling it a spade a spade. What do you want me to do? I'm not, not going to hide behind any facades. We can give all different excuses. So the Torah tells us something very interesting. You ever find in the Torah that it says Moshe was a tzaddik? It doesn't say that, right? 
Who is the only person that the Torah calls a tzaddik? Noah. And not only that, he has a tzaddik, but he has like a little star by his name when it says tzaddik. He's a tzaddik only because he lived in an era where everybody else was evil. Would he have lived in the time of Abraham? He wouldn't even made it onto the board. What are we saying here? Why does the Torah continuously call him not once a tzaddik, but a second time a tzaddik? Because over here, the Torah is teaching us something very interesting. The very fact that I'm calling him a tzaddik, I am giving him a reputation he has to live up to. I'm giving him the strength and the fortitude to be able to be a tzaddik. Look at Noah. Look who he had to deal with. He was a generation of people who were so evil that they had the world that to be destroyed. He had to deal with the environmentalists to cut down the trees for his teva. He had to deal with the building department to be able to build up such a teva. He had to deal with PETA to be able to gather all the animals. He had to deal with all the different organizations. Won't give him the fortitude and the strength to be able to do that. Why should he want to do it? Why should he want to do it? He'll tell God, find somebody else to do your jobs. Took him 120 years to build the ark. Why should he? Why, I want to be a zookeeper. Everybody else is not, everybody else is not, not listening. Why should he follow the trend? What does the Torah do? The Torah calls him a tzaddik. The Torah says, ah, no, you're a tzaddik. You know how to stand up to everybody. By calling him a tzaddik, the Torah gave him the strength that he should actually be a tzaddik. The same thing is also we tell a person, the same idea. When you tell a person judging every person favorably, when you tell a person to judging every person favorably, what does it mean? We tell this person, we look at him and we say, you know, this person's really righteous. This person's really holy. He must have such difficult challenges that therefore he's just not able to stand up to them. But if I tell him that he could stand up to the challenge and I look at him favorable and I say, you know what, you're stronger than that, then he will be able to stand up to the challenges. How do we know if we would have those challenges if we would be able to make it through? The bottom line is that we have to be able to demand from that person the same thing we would demand from ourselves. Judge every person favorably, say if I would be in his shoes. Maybe he has challenges that I don't know about. Maybe he has difficulties that he had because of that. And let me give him the benefit of the doubt, meaning the benefit of the doubt that deep within this person there is a treasure. Amorite, remember, speak about the treasure that he has, the good quality that he has. Let him reveal it, and he'll be able to overcome his challenges. Don't stifle him and say, ah, you're a no good, Nick. What are you doing? You're just making him only acquiesce to his challenges. But if you say, ah, you have a holy soul, you can overcome it, you give him the strength and the power to overcome it. The bottom line is, what we see from over here is, what the Torah is teaching us, and the most important lesson that we learn from this week's Torah reading is that the words can build and words can destroy. Words can give you treasures and words can also destroy buildings. What the Torah is telling us is within your words, make sure you're able to reveal the treasure within every person. Use your words to articulate and to bring out the treasure that exists within every other building. Because when you say those words and you are kind to another person, you say nice things to the person, you'll reveal the goodness and the kindness that's within that individual. While on the other hand, if you use your words to destroy, yes, you can have a demolished building, but there will be nothing around, there'll be nothing to celebrate, and all you'll see is just impoverished land. It's up to us to be able to find a treasure within every individual or to make that person a ransacked home. 
this is the, you know, just to conclude with a story, a phenomenal story that happened in the 1946, at the end of World War II, the Russians allowed that all the Polish citizens should we go back to, to Poland. So after a Polish citizen, those who were seeking refuge with thousands of Polish people that came to Russia to avoid the war, to avoid the, you know, the Nazis, and they were all out of return. Because of that, a lot of Jews recognized the opportunity. This was our chance to get out of Russia. And they forged passports, Polish passports, to be able to get across the border from Lvov, which was the bordering town of Poland and uh, Russia, to get out of Russia, out of communist Russia. It happens to me. My great-grandmother was one of the people who was... Uh, yeah, my great-grandmother was one of the people of organizing these forged passports, and that's how my father got out of Russia as well. So... Um, so so there was a chassid by the name of Beryl Gurevich, who he was married with two kids, and him and his two kids made it across the border. But as long as you were still in the vicinity of the border, you can be worried that the guards are going to come and get you, you know, if they caught you with Polish passports. And um, unfortunately, the guards, the KGB came and they found him, and they saw that he had forged passports. Now he was thinking, what does she do? His wife is still making it across. And kids. He doesn't want his wife, not, there was no contact, how they can know where he is. So he wanted to give his wife a get, a divorce. But there was no rabbi, there was nobody there to be able to arrange it. And before he had a chance, he was taken away. And his wife was taken away as a aguna. Aguna, which means a woman who is not divorced, but if she's not married, what's she going to do? How when would she ever hear from her husband? She went through Lodge, Marceau, Paris, and she came to France. And as a, strict, a single mom with two kids, has no clue where her husband is, doesn't know what she's going to do. There was, in her apartment building, there was a fellow by the name of Reb Golden. And his Reb Golden always had a smile on his face, no matter what. And every single morning, he would see her, and he would say, don't worry, your husband's going to come back. Everything will be all right. And he would always give her words of encouragement, no matter what the circumstance. And he had no clue, but he was just that positive energy in her life that gave her the hope that one day her husband will come back. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Iron Curtain, there was a deal, miraculous deal, that Poland made with uh, Russia, a prisoner exchange, that Russia was going to let out eight prisoners. It so happened to be one of the prisoners was this fellow, Beryl Gurevich. He comes out of prison, but now everybody's gone. He has no clue where they went. So he's, he crosses the border, Lvov, and he starts asking around, do you know where there was a group of Hasidim? Where did they end up going to? Do you know which DP camp they're in? Well, what happened to them? And he went to one Jew that lived in the city. And this Jew said, I have no idea what happened to the Hasidim, but I know one Hasid, I know a businessman that used to come around here all the time. I know him. I'll, I'll put you in contact with him. And his name is Rabbi Golden. He, he contacted this Rabbi Golden, and Rabbi Golden was the one who was able to tell this guy's wife here, your husband's alive, go and meet him. When we have a positive attitude, when we speak positive about another person, God gives us the ability to bring blessings into people's lives. So let us only speak nicely, and God will already give us blessings to say and happy things to say. Mm -hmm.